Welcome to Venture, Observe, and Connect. I'm Deanne Fitzmaurice, and my guest today is my dear friend, Amy Vitale. Amy is a National Geographic photographer, a fellow Nikon ambassador, a documentary filmmaker. She has won most of the important photography awards that exist, but my favorite one is that um, InStyle magazine, I believe it is, <laughs> nominated you as one of the 50 most badass women. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. That is a fantastic introduction. And I, I nominate you too. I think you're one of the most incredible badass women out in the world. You show I don't up know. and get things done. You do. Oh, well, that, that's nice of you, but I think you've got me beat on the badassery scale. <laughs> no. I don't agree, but it's so good to see you. How are you? I'm doing great. It's so great to have an opportunity to talk with you here. Usually we're just like, you know, ships passing in the night, (laughs) but we grab our moments whenever we can. That's right. That's right. Yes. So um, you're known for your conservation stories and they always have a beautiful theme of hope. And um, I'd like you to Tell us about you know some of the work you're doing. Really want to hear about the work you've done with the rhinos, and uh, maybe you could just quickly tell us how you got started and what led you to that work. Oh, that that's a wonderful question. I'll try to keep it brief, but basically, I started off as a photographer, really interested in the human condition, and kind of set down this path of covering wars and suffering. And you know, as I got along maybe 10 years into my career, I started to really make this connection that all of this human suffering was always deeply connected to our environment, to the natural world, that it was in some cases, you know, the loss of basic resources like water, um, sometimes, you know, climate change and the loss of fertile lands. But usually those things you know, the the breakdown of our ecosystem leads to conflict and suffering. And I realized that in some ways I had been photographing the end of the story and that I really needed to focus on, um, I seek out answers and solutions. Like, what do we do about this? When you see what's happening, you understand that, um, you know, we are this is all self-inflicted in a lot of ways, like the human beings are doing this to ourselves and there are solutions. And I think that, you know, you asked about the rhino. This was my great wake up call back in 2009. I had this opportunity to meet some of the last Northern white rhinos that were alive on the planet. And at the time, there were only eight known to be alive. They were all in zoos. And I heard about this audacious plan to fly four of them from the zoo in the Czech Republic, the Dvorkralov Zoo, all the way to Kenya in this last ditch effort to save the whole species. And when I set eyes on them for the first time, it just, oh, it just stopped me in my tracks. It just captured my heart. I literally felt like, I mean, I know this sounds crazy and absurd, but I felt like I just set eyes on a unicorn because you looked at them and they're these gentle, hulking, really ancient creatures. You can recognize when you look at them that they have been on this planet for millions of years and that something about this, like on that day, there were just 
eight known to be alive kind of, it just impacted me in this really deep way. Yes. So take us back to the moment. So you, you're in the zoo in the Czech Republic when you first see this rhino. So take us back there and where it went from there. Okay. So uh, I met these rhinos. Uh, actually, they had six of the last northern white rhinos at that time in 2009. And then they decided four of them would be sent to Kenya. The thought back then was that the open air, the room, you know, room to roam and fresh air, and it might somehow stimulate them to breed. And then uh, we, you know, we were hopeful. And years went by. They did not successfully breed. The rhinos were, you know, they began to die. Um, and, and in 2018, I got a call to hurry back because at that time, Sudan, who was the last male Northern white rhino, the last, you know, of his kind was about to die. And I hurried back. And when I got there, I will never forget the scene that I found. It was the most heartbreaking, one of the most heartbreaking moments of my life because, you know, the thing, it was just this creature was surrounded by all the people who loved and protected him and committed their lives to him. And if you can imagine, these people spend more time with these rhinos than their own children and their own families. They spend 10 months a year living with these animals. You know, the bonds were deep. They felt like they were their own children. And the thing I remember most was how quiet it was. I mean, normally in nature, you hear the sounds of, of nature, of birds, of the wind, of, you know, it was just, it was so striking how it felt like on this day, the whole world was mourning the end of the species because Sudan dying really signaled that this creature was functionally extinct because then Today, there's only two female northern white rhinos, which means, you know, how are you going to, you can't uh, breed. And so it was this heartbreaking day where all I could hear was the rain and the sobs of the men and women who loved and protected this animal and just like trying to hold back their tears. Amy, it's such an incredible photograph. I mean, anybody who looks at that photograph of that moment when Sudan is dying. It's it's impossible not to feel the emotion. It's so powerfully captured. And you know, I just felt like I wasn't just watching an animal die. It felt more personal than that. It actually felt like I was watching humanity's demise because until we start recognizing that these creatures, we need them as much as, you know, we think they need us. No. We need them for our own survival. We are a part of this landscape and so are they. And when they die, the whole ecosystem starts to crumble. And I've witnessed that. I've seen how ecosystems fall apart when you take these species out of them. And I realized it's not just the rhinos. It's a whole host of species that we don't even talk about. Um, you know, I've in my career really um, had the opportunity to work with so many charismatic species that get the headlines and the attention. 
But honestly, I think many of your audience probably knows, but we're going through the sixth mass extinction, which is different from all of these other extinction events in that it's purely human driven. And, you know, I, I think in the last 14, 15 years, I've been working on these kinds of stories. I've realized actually um, it is uh, it will fill you with despair if you only read those headlines. But if you start to get into each and every single story, there's so much hope. There's so many beautiful people doing incredible things. And I feel like I need to amplify their stories, shine a light on what we can do and start rewriting those narratives. I love the way you find the hope. I remember hearing you talk about um, when you were photographing more of the um, conflict, the uh, human struggle, when you saw that wedding ceremony um, in a room tucked away, I think it exemplifies so well how you find hope in a scene that is difficult. Well, it's all around us. And I mean, even in the worst situations I've been in, it's always when I meet the most extraordinary human beings that remind me you know, of our resilience and, and that we need to pay attention to that too, because that is going to be what saves us all. And so, but the story you're talking about was I was, um, working in Palestine and Gaza Strip. And like all the journalists there, we were asked to focus on the violence, bring back the most, you know, dramatic images. And on one square block, you know, of, of kids throwing rocks, which quickly escalated to people dying. You know, I was like one of many photographers and that's all we chose to photograph because we thought that that's what our editors wanted. We thought that's what our audience wanted. And I, um, this was like this moment, I actually almost died there. And I remember having this wake up call thinking, what am I doing? You know, I'm just bringing back these sensationalistic images to feed, you know, what is probably polarizing more people on the planet than helping. And then as I was walking back to my hotel room, I heard music coming out of this building and I wander up this, you know, really the, this, this dark staircase towards the music. I open the door and it's this dark room, but there's a light on this beautiful couple, you know, getting married in the middle of all of this chaos and war. And something about it just captured my heart. And I thought, why are we not also sharing these stories? The ones that allow us to relate to one another as simply human beings, you know, seeking out all the same things we all seek out, love, a better life, hope for the future, you know? And to me, as I was sitting there with, you know, just completely captivated by the beauty and, and resilience of this moment, I just thought, this is the story. This is the story of human resilience. It wasn't the story that my editors asked for or necessarily wanted, but to me, it was the story. And that was the moment that I started to understand that I, as a storyteller, had the power to send back different kinds of stories than they might know about or have asked about. And that's when I started pushing back on what I was being asked to do and realize that we all have voice, every single one of us. And we also, the narratives that we choose to focus on 
are probably, you know, something all of us should be paying attention to in today's world. I mean, now more than ever, even the narratives that we choose to feed our minds with, you know, do we only focus on the stories that remind us how uh, disconnected and polarized and how dangerous the world is? Or do we also seek out different kinds of stories that remind us of our shared humanity? I think it's also important the way you trust your gut, how, you know, you're photographing something and it doesn't feel right. And then you find this hopeful thing and that just is who you are. That's the way you see the world and you choose to document that. Well, I think we are what we feed our minds and heart with, you know, that's what we become. And I realized, I think being a storyteller, being on the front lines there, knowing what really realities are out there, I realized that I have to um, seek those things out because it shapes who we are. Stories create the world we live in. They create who we are as individuals and also the world around us. Stories actually matter. They do. They do. So um, I'd like you to tell us how this work that you did has led to this amazing nonprofit that you founded, um, Vital Impacts. Thank you. I thank you for asking. I mean, I do think that it's easy to feel despair and feel like, what can I, one individual, do? The problems are too big. Uh, you know, I, I can't really have an impact. And that is what led me to founding Vital Impacts, which basically brings together a community of amazing photographers, artists, storytellers to use the power of who we are together to raise much needed funding for grassroots conservation and also to support the photographers themselves. It started off as this little initiative with just my colleague Eileen Mignoni and I um, working to bring people together. And in the first six months, we raised one and a half million dollars, which not only went to conservation efforts, but also to uh, humanitarian aid for people caught in the middle of conflicts. You know, it's all connected. It's all the same story. So we've really, um, you know, grown very quickly. And now we have two $20,000 environmental photography grants and a whole mentoring program for people focused on the natural world, because I think we need more great storytellers that are, you know, shining a light on what's happening to the environment and the solutions. I want to know, what do we do? Because there are solutions and I think we need to hear more about what those are. And, um, and so that's kind of the genesis of Vital Impacts. And we believe that art is a powerful on-ramp to activism in that, you know, art reaches people's hearts and minds very differently than science does. I mean, it's important to know science, but I think that um, art is a very powerful mechanism to galvanize people and to make people want to become more engaged. And then at the same time, people can own art and, you know, get it to inspire them and, and wake up every day and look at this powerful piece of art and remind them of our individual voices matter. You know, we all have a, a voice and can get out there and do so much more than we often realize. This organization is so powerful and what you've done in the first year is so impressive. And I love the way it's 
working for conservation, it's working for photographers, it's just putting good out into the world. So congratulations on amazing work. Thank you. But I, I never fully want to take credit. It's actually, you know, it's a village. It's all of us together and you're a part of it. So thank you for being a part of it. So Amy, do you have any advice to photographers that are trying to find their voice in photography and trying to make a difference with their work like you do? I do. I mean, I actually, it's not that long ago. I remember the struggle is so real. And I would say to people um, to be patient because, and not to be afraid of discomfort and, you know, struggling. It takes time to get to a place where you start to be able to have that impact. And I just, I think it's really easy to look on social media and see all these people doing amazing things and feel overwhelmed and discouraged. But I would say if you ask any one of the people you admire doing great work, they will all tell you a very similar story, which is they took a risk they weren't afraid to fail. So like first take that baby step, you know, dip your toe in and then take the plunge. And, you know, you have nothing to lose in the sense that, yeah, you may fail. Um, I fail over and over all the time. And it's literally taken me three decades to build up what I am doing today. And there was probably a decade of no recognition, continuing to reinvest in myself with many people believing in me and this, what I could do. I have so many stories of people telling me I didn't belong there, that I couldn't do these things and just tune those voices out. All the people that tell you, you can't do it. It's impossible. Even the story of the Northern white rhino, I pitched that story around and every single person I pitched said, no, we're not interested. And I just, you've got to follow your heart a lot of the time. And, and slow down and understand, you know, it takes patience. And I, I'm curious, Deanne, what do you think? How would you answer that question? Um, yeah, I think there is a lot to not, um, yeah, not giving up. Perseverance, I think, has got to be the thing. Because anything good that I have been able to achieve has happened with a lot of no's in the way. You know, it's just, <laughs> there are just so many no's along the way. And to just keep pushing through that. Amy, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I know how busy you are. <laughs> and uh, it's just great. It's so nice to see your face. And, and I always love listening to your stories. You're just a shining light. So thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Mwah. Okay. Mwah.